Let's pray together then. Lord, we thank you for our day, and we thank you for your word, and we are thankful for the opportunity to study it, and we pray that you would uh, strengthen us in it as we do so. Uh, Lord, we um, pray for this hour and uh, for each of the teachers and each of the students, and that you would grow us in grace here today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, as um, I've been doing here for um, the last little bit, focusing on um, skills of studying the scriptures, and um, another way of putting it is learning to be a student of the word, and and how can we uh, better understand what God has told us, and um, it's it's really a um, a practice that we all need to uh, improve upon, uh, including myself. I always feel like I'm learning to do it better, and um, it's it's God's word, and and so I think it behooves us to to to, to learn how to do it in in ways that most accurately understands His word and most thoroughly. So, most recently, uh, we've been talking about the historical grammatical method, and uh, what we mean by that simply is, as we study the scriptures, and even preach and teach the scriptures, we need to um, look first of all at the history, the story. That's not all we look at, but that's the founding um, uh, idea because that's how God presented it to us. He didn't present his word to us in a systematic way. He presented it to us in this story from the beginning to the end and, and of course, all the events in between. And so we look at the, the history of that story. We look at the places where things happened. We looked at, at the... Uh, the different lakes and rivers and and cities and and people groups and and then when these things happen and and the more we understand some of those things simply the better we'll understand uh, God's word now of course some of that we can't understand because we don't know where some of the places are or were and we don't know when some of the things happen but as we ask the questions it does help us to to understand even if we can't understand every detail of those things. Now, the other aspect then is the grammatical aspect. So we have the historical, and then we have the grammatical. And you might say that um, the history part might be a bit easier because you're talking about a story. And it's much easier for us to follow a story, isn't it? Uh, the grammar part might be a little bit harder just because um, you're looking at individual words. And for some of us, you know, like Bill back here, when was the last time you had grammar class? I mean, it's, you know, 60, 70 years ago. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, my one grammar teacher just died here recently and so you know I was probably 14 or 15 when when I had her for class in ninth grade or whenever it was and um, 
And so for some of us, it's been a long time since we've thought about these things. For others of us, we do this um, you know, on a regular basis, and, or it's not been as many years in between. <laughs> and, um, and the reason why we emphasize this point, you know, the history part is pretty straightforward. That's the way God gave it to us in the Word. The grammar part um, may also be rather straightforward in one sense, but we have um, the one passage in particular that really emphasizes this point. And that is in 2 Timothy 3. So let's turn there just a moment. This familiar passage to us. And there are many implications from this passage. But one of them is what we're talking about here. So 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, notice how it begins. All scripture, every word, is given by God. It's his breath. It comes from his mouth. And so, um, in the end, we need to focus on what the ideas are given uh, and what those mean. But we can't come come to those ideas without first looking at the words. And um, I had a, a committee meeting for Presbytery yesterday, and we were constantly asking them, hey, what is your understanding of this? What do you believe about that? And sometimes words were given, and we're like, okay, what does that word mean? How are you understanding that word? And so we have to get to the ideas, but we start with the words first. And so all scripture means, okay, what are each word saying? And then, what's the idea that we get from that? So if I just throw out a bunch of words, um, they may mean something in the abstract, like ball or chair or marker or microphone or something like that. But until we put them into a sentence, they don't mean that much. And... And as we put those things then together in a paragraph and so forth, then we can, um, we can understand. But our tendency when we study the scriptures is to read a verse or two and say, okay, what's the point? Well, we can't really get to that until we look at each of the words. And sometimes it's very easy. You read through them and they make a lot of sense right away. Other times it takes some more work. And some words are so filled with meaning that it dominates everything. So like this morning here in Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. Well, you know, every one of those words has some important meaning. And what does believe mean? You know, what does you and your household mean? You know, and so forth. What does it mean to believe on Jesus Christ? So some are very straightforward. Some of them um, have a lot more Um, substance, if you will. And so, um, you notice how this then fits with some of the things I talked about here about a year ago about being mouthpieces. Um, I talked about providing a a narrative context instead of an abstract one. Well, that fits with the history. I also talked about words over ideas. 
Well, that's what we're talking about here. The reason why I say we should focus on words over ideas, start with the words to get the ideas, is because of this issue right here, the grammatical part of this method. And then the other one I mentioned, remember I, I used the idea of exegetical versus homiletical, and that um, the homiletical approach to preaching and teaching is that we come up with the arrangement of the passage of Scripture rather than looking at how God arranged the text. And so the guy yesterday at, the, at our committee meeting had to preach, and he preached on the Good Samaritan. He just went right down through the text. It was really well done, actually. And that's what I do. We just start today. We're going to start in verse 29. We'll go down through verse 40. I don't rearrange the text because God put it that way for a reason. And so you know, some of the things I was talking about last year are because of this method right here, just working it out. But the tendency today is to focus on topics. The tendency today is to focus on the basic idea rather than the words that give us the ideas, the arrangement that God gave, and then um, uh, proclaiming that. So uh, it all fits together um, in this way. <clears throat> well, um, I think the idea that I'm giving here is pretty straightforward. But our goal here, of course, is to learn how to do it. And so I think maybe one of the best things for us to do next is to actually look at the grammar of some verses and, and look at what we learn from that. Um, so before we turn to a particular passage, do you have any comments or questions here? Let's turn then to probably the most familiar verse in the scriptures, and that's John 3.16. And won't have us focus on an obscure verse for us, but uh, one that we know well. And, and look at these words. So let's, um, maybe what we should do is use the New King James translation there with the Pew Bible. So we're all on the same page here with... The same same wording, and um, are you seeing one there, Margaret? Okay. All right. All right. So John three sixteen, um, the New King James is very much like the Old King James, of course. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All right. Well, let's do this one at a time. Four. What is four in part of speech? It can be. In this case, it's not. As you're reading this, um, let's start at verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God so loved the world, and so forth. 
See how it links it together? Okay. So in this case, it's a conjunction. Now what Eric mentioned, he said I give the marker to you or um, um, I'm trying to think of an example here. Um, the, the Bible was given for him to read. That's still in order to. Um, it's for his advantage would be an idea. So the drink was given for him. Let's put it that way. Nice and simple. He was thirsty. The drink was given for him. For his advantage. That would be a preposition. Um, but this is a conjunction. And you might say a logical conjunction because we're connecting the ideas together here. All right, then we have God. What part of speech is that? Okay, and in particular, how is it being used here? Okay, it's being used as a subject in the sentence. All right, then we have so. languages, they may emphasize different things. But here's just a basic past tense, right? God loved sometime in the past, right? Alright, so then we have, what what does he love? Okay, the world, right? Alright, what's world as part speech? Okay, functioning how? Yeah, so not as a subject, but it's the direct object. And then what's the? Okay. Um, or as we sometimes call it, the definite article. Yep, article, adjective. Yep. All right. <laughs> now, here's our basic statement. For God so loved the world. The four tells us, pay attention to what came before. All right. And here's your basic idea. God loved the world. Here's the one doing it. Here's what he is doing it. Here's what is love, the world. Now, <clears throat> every one of these things then needs to be defined in some way. Yes? Well, let's read it again. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, I don't think, first of all, I don't think we can translate it that way. But secondly, um, what comes next is a little bit more, um, it's the result and the purpose of his love. Um, it's more of a, uh, let me explain further what I mean by this, I, I think would be a way to paraphrase it. Um, okay. 
But he raises a good question. Well, how do we interpret each of these words? And each one of them means something. Now, what does God mean? Well, remember what we talked about last week in, in Acts 16. Well, the girl was going around saying, yeah, Paul and Silas are servants of the Most High God. Well, what did she mean by that? What did the Philippians understand by that? Well, it was different than what Paul was saying. So Paul got upset and cast out the demon and so forth, right? So um, God means something. What does it mean? Well, obviously, we need to define it according to the scriptures. But even different Christians will define God differently. And some say, oh, he's a God of love, but not a God of wrath, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, and um, the basic answer here is, well, it's, you know, the God of the scriptures, the God of the Old Testament, now working in the New Testament. Um, and now, we'll come back to so here in a moment. So then you have the word loved. Well, what does love mean? If I say I love Nailene, and I say I love pizza, I mean something different, don't, don't I? Okay? Now, if you say, <clears throat> I love that song, or I make love to my wife, we mean something very different, don't we? Even though we're using the same term. Um, and, you know, sometimes you hear people say that, well, love is a verb. And, you know, it's a common song And when I was younger, and who was that? DC Talk? I forget who it was. But somebody had this famous Christian song out there that talks about love being a verb. And, and the emphasis is we need to act. We need to show our love. That's the whole point he's making. Um, so <clears throat> in the Greek, this is the word agape. It's the na- uh, verb form of it. But uh, agape has this idea of covenant love. So chesed, remember the Hebrew word that we've talked about. So it takes us back to God's covenant love shown really to Adam and then Noah and Abraham and so forth to Israel. And so that kind of love is being communicated now to the world. So then we have to define what does world mean? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it is agape. So you have that idea. Um, <clears throat> you also have God is wrath and God is jealous, and you know you put all that together with the attributes. And um, so the um, you even have the difference of God's love toward an unbeliever versus its love for a believer. So um, certainly in the context of First John, where we see that in chapter four, the emphasis on His love for His people. Uh, what we see in Acts 14, for example, when Paul talks about God's love there, it's, it's much more general. So that's where you take a word and its basic meaning, but how's it being used in the context? So, world. Uh, we can think of globe, right? We can think of a map, even, of the world. We can think of the world as opposed, say, to the sun or the moon. We could think of world as a place where sinners live. We can think of world as a place of um, the existence of, you know, something. You know, you talk about, well, we were talking earlier about New York City. We could talk about the world of New York. 
and right now it's not a place you'd want to visit. <laughs> the, the virus is there, and now there are riots everywhere, and the police aren't doing anything because of the crazy political policies there. Um, so we can use world in that sense. We can, we can talk about Beth's world. Well, what's Beth's world? Well, Subway, <laughs> her home, her relationships, you know, these kind of things, right? So we can use it in different ways. But notice how in each of those we talk about the whole thing in one sense, right? Beth's world encompasses everything. The world of New York City encompasses everything that's going on there. So what does John mean here? Or Jesus, if Jesus said these words, there's debate on whether John said it or Jesus said it. But either way, God said it in the end. Um, So what does he mean? Does he mean God loves the world in the sense of every last single individual? If so, then we would end up in what we call universalism. The idea that God loves everyone and saves everyone. Um, Or does John mean that God loved Israel and now he's loving people beyond Israel? All believers, right? All who believe on him. Um, And so, do you see what we're doing? Do you see how many questions come up? You know, when you read the story, it's much more straightforward, isn't it? But when we start doing this, now it gets a bit more complicated. But, you know, you do the same thing when you read a text or an email or a letter from somebody. You're parsing every word. You might not think through all the details like we just did here, but you're still trying to interpret what that means. I got. I sent a text to Naylene yesterday uh, at this meeting, and I'm like, you need to put air in the tires and all this sort of thing. Well, I got this text back that had all kinds of emojis and weird letters, and I'm like, okay, that was one of the kids. <laughs> and, and then afterward it said, ignore. <laughs> I'm like, well. Um, but you see, you, you still need to interpret things. Um, you know, what does LOL mean? You know, well, probably you mean laugh out loud or something to that effect. But um, we interpret the things that people give to us all the time. We just don't necessarily think through the details of it. Eric. Absolutely. 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 And back to your question about four. Yep. And so, you know, some of those questions are easily answered. Um, the doesn't have a whole lot of uh, variation in meaning, does it? We're not talking about a world. We're not talking about God loving some other world not here on earth. Okay? Uh, it's the world, this particular one. Um, but sometimes it, it, it does take a fair amount of effort. And on this particular phrase, there are a lot of things we need to define. And I go back to what I said at the beginning. God gave us his word for us to do this. He wants us to learn how to do this. 
Now, you can rely on me to some degree. We can rely on commentators to some degree. And yet God gave his word to every one of us to be able to read and understand. And some things are pretty straightforward. Some things are not so much. So let's talk about this word here a little bit. Nathaniel said it was an adverb, which is is true. What is it adding to, though? We say adverb adds to the verb. Well, adverbs can do more than add to a verb. They can add to uh, adjectives. They can even add to nouns to some degree. They can add to the whole phrase. Uh, There's a variety of things adverbs can do. So um, is this adding to the verb? Is this saying that God loved the world so very, very, very much? That's what we often hear, don't we? God's love is really big. And that's why he sent his only begotten son. Well, it is possible that this word means so much. Uh, a lot, or you know, something like that. But it is a bit. Um, let's just say the word has some other meanings. It can mean um, in this way. Um, it can mean thus. Well, I don't think thus would work because in the Greek, it's the first word. Kutos. And then you have gar, which is for, and then you have the ox, which is God. Okay. And, oh, sorry, the verb first. You have the verb, uh, and, and then you have God, the ox, the ox. So here's your four, which I'll get a little technical on you here for a minute. We call it a post-positive. In other words, it's not the first word in the sentence. It's either the second or third, or sometimes the fourth. But you still translate it as the first word. That's just how that word works. So you can translate four first. But if this were to modify the, the verb, you would think it would be possibly over here, or even after the verb. The fact that it's the first word automatically tells you, hmm, what came before this? So the meaning of in this way or in this manner kind of rises to the forefront. Uh, thus doesn't work so much because you have the gar, the four. So, you know, there's all these things that you, you just start doing when um, you're, you're interpreting things. And I'll go back to something I've said before. This is why, one of the reasons why, in the end, I think it's best if everybody learns the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, Even if you don't become an expert in it, just having a little bit of knowledge can help you to answer some questions. And um, so in this case, I think so would mean in this way or in this manner. Not how much he loves us, but he loves us in this way. Well, what way is that? Well, what did we see? Verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him, right? Remember the, the people looked to the serpent on the pole to be saved from the plague? Remember the story. So now we're going back to the history, right? <coughs> Excuse me. The history is <coughs> there's this plague because the people were grumbling and they cried out for help. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and um, God told Moses, make this bronze serpent, put it up on a stick, and when you look at that, <coughs> you're going to be saved from the plague. Okay, now, right, is it, is it the medical, or, yeah, it's the medical symbol now, isn't it? Uh, it's not the Red Cross, is it? It's one of those that the medical has the serpent on the pole. Okay, we still have that. This is where you go to be saved from a plague, as it were. Um, so in the same way, then, God loved the world by sending his son to be set up on a pole so that when we look to him, we'll be saved from the plague, the judgment that we deserve. That's, that's what so is saying here. In the same way as the bronze serpent, so Jesus is the one we look to to be saved from the plague, from the judgment. Now, does that emphasize how much God loves us? Yes. <laughs> but that's not really the emphasis here. The emphasis of the word is to connect us back to what was just said in verses 14 and 15. Now, I'm not expecting you to follow everything I'm saying here, but I'm wanting you to get the, to the main point, and that is, let's look at each of the words. What are they telling us? I'll say to this um, when I'm, uh, I've taught Greek or Hebrew or something, I'll say, look, even if you never master this, it forces you to slow down and read more carefully. Because you start looking at each of the words and not just breezing through it to try to get the idea. And even that um, step helps you to understand better. And again, that's our goal here. This is God's word he's given. He wants us to understand. All right. <clears throat> Questions? comments here at this point. This is one of those things where, you know, we live in a society that focuses on specialists. And to some degree, that's understandable. Each one of us has been gifted to do certain things. And some of us are gifted with music. Some of us are gifted with working with our hands. Some of us are gifted in sports, some of us are gifted with numbers, you know, on and on we go, right? And, and so it's understandable that we would focus on things that we're gifted in doing. At the same time, there are some things that all of us need to learn to do at least a little bit. All of us need to add and subtract. You know, we've got to keep our checkbook in order. We need to know that when we go to the store and we give a $20 bill to the clerk that we're getting the right change back and they're not ripping us off. <laughs> you know, these kind of things. You know, we need to know some basic things. And the same is true here for uh, grammar. 
And how can we communicate if we don't have some kind of knowledge of grammar? Um, so <clears throat> some of us may become experts in this, and some of us don't, and don't but we all should know it to some degree. Um, all right. Well, let's look at the next part of the verse. That he gave his only begotten son. Now, a challenging question. What is that? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> if I said <laughs> that book, the word that means something different than this use. If I said that Johnny <laughs> went to the store in order to buy that loaf of bread I use that twice in that sentence and they mean something different okay. there Johnny said that well that's what we call a, um, a, a particle used in recitation of things that loaf of bread is being used as an adjective. So it, it kind of depends. In this case, that is saying um, result. And this is something that we see specifically in the Greek. Um, and it helps us to understand what meaning God so loved the world that the result of God's love is that he gave his only begotten son. That's our meaning. I just use that as a pronoun. Okay. That can mean a variety of things. Here it's communicating result. Okay. God so loved the world and the result of his love is that he gave his only begotten son. Then we have um, the word he. What's he? Pronoun. Okay, so whenever we have a pronoun, we need to ask, what's the antecedent? What's it referring to here? He is who? God. That's pretty straightforward, right? There's our antecedent. That God gave his only begotten son. All right, what is gave then? Again, past tense, right? He loved, he gave. Something in the past, right? All right, then what's his? Okay, another pronoun. In this case, it's showing possession. Whose begotten son? His begotten son. So now again, what's the antecedent of, in this case, his? Okay. Same antecedent. Okay. His only begotten son. 
Okay, now let's go down here. What is sun as a part of speech? And how's it functioning here? Yes. Okay, so now, direct object. Okay, now what is only begotten? Okay. okay. Strictly, we would say this is an adjective and this is an adverb modifying begotten. It's not just the begotten son, but the only begotten son. Now, in Greek, it's actually one word, but in English we separate it, and that's how we've translated the, those things. So he gave his son. Well, what, 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 what about his son? Well, his son was begotten, but not made, we say, and is the only one that is begotten. This, the spirit wasn't begotten. Adam wasn't begotten. Only Jesus was begotten. Now, this raises all kinds of questions, and we spent uh, quite a few minutes yesterday in committee asking what these men believed about this very issue. Um, and we could go through and we could define what does give mean? You know, in particular, what does this mean? And we can work our way through all of that, similar to what we did for the first phrase. Um, <clears throat> Again, our goal here is to better understand God's word. And again, the history part of this is a lot easier for us. Even those of us who struggle with history, we can follow a story pretty easily. This is much more complicated, but it's not impossible. And the fact that God gave us his word demands that we do this, at least to some degree. And the more we look at some of these particular things, the better we'll understand his word. So, you know, I understand why people stand at football games with the placard that says John 3.16. I understand why this is a popular verse, but it is actually a complicated verse. And people have different meanings based on different things here in this verse and we need to look at it carefully to understand specifically what it is now of course we have one more phrase here uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life Um, but we've run out of time here this morning Um, but I'm, I'm trying to say two things here I'm trying to say that the more you do this, the more you get into the language, the more you even learn Greek and Hebrew, the better you understand God's Word. At the same time, I recognize not everybody is as gifted in this. Not everybody has the time to do this. And yet, at the same time, God gave us His Word. He wants us to understand it. He wasn't, doesn't want us just to rely on someone like me for your understanding. And so, all of us are interpreting things. It's just how well are we doing it. And if we slow down and look at each of the words, it helps us to do it better. And that's the whole point of the historical, now grammatical, method of interpreting Scripture. And as I mentioned last time, even in our circles, more and more pastors are getting away from this approach to understanding and and then communicating the Scriptures and as Martin Luther says, 
in the end, it will lead to heresy. It's it's that significant. And um, so anyway, um, just a few few words here in this way. We'll do a little bit more next time. Um, and so let's pray together. <clears throat> our Father and our God, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for the details of it. We thank you for language. We thank you for the ability to communicate, given initially um, to Adam and Eve. Um, we know, Lord, that um, language didn't evolve from grunts and whistles to now modern language, but from the very beginning, Adam and Eve could communicate probably even better than we do now. And that's because we are made in your image. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us in this, um, this skill and art of, of language and how to use it, and in particular, how to understand it, your word. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray that we would be faithful to your word, that we would uh, love it because it's your word that you have given and so we pray now as we come to our worship together that you would work within us uh, that we might uh, uh, learn from your word and live accordingly we pray in jesus name